Hi guys, Rob here, podcast editor for EveryMind. This week, Paul interviews Kat Reed, co-founder of Throman Reed, a wellness-first HR consultancy business. Kat opens up about her personal experience and the insights she's learned along the way. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. If you think EveryMind at Work could help your business, then head over to everymindatwork.com. And if you found this episode valuable, don't forget to share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. Enjoy the show. So Kat, welcome to the EveryMind podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Paul. How are you? Doing well, doing well. I appreciate you taking the time out on a Friday afternoon when the sun's shining to, to talk about mental health in the workplace, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> what an uplifting topic to talk about yeah. on the first sunny day exactly. in forever. Um, because I don't I don't know where you are, um, but in Manchester it's it's sunny for the first time in about three months and it, well that's what it feels like anyway and yeah it's it's been quite pleasant to see the sun at last yeah, yeah it's good to know like I'm, I'm down south and to be honest we've had a quite a few a few sunny days today's mm-hmm. sunny but um mm-hmm. I'm kind of just I've been thrown out into my 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 eldest son's bedroom for this podcast um and because they're all out there playing in, in the garden so so joys of a Friday afternoon doing a podcast yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you because obviously you know I've, I've seen a couple of your posts pop up on LinkedIn and um, you know someone from the team Zoe has kind of you know seen a couple of your your stuff as well and mm-hmm. and obviously you know I wanted to kind of dive into to your approach because I know yeah. your approach is is very different mm-hmm. um, and also you know your motivations to start in um, you know the business so if we can just start you know can you just give us a bit of a backstory in terms of of, of what you do now and mm-hmm. and almost in a way the journey of, of where you got to where you are today yeah of course um so I'm I'm one half of Throman Reads we are an HR and well-being consultancy based in Manchester we actually work with startups and scale-ups because typically those are the companies that are often founded by people with fantastic ideas who may not necessarily have had experience with running a business before and who very often make the mistake of thinking that they can bootstrap everything um, possible including HR and then when they start to scale um, they get five years down the line and then they realize um, as founders eventually it comes out to them that actually their workplace has grown and their culture hasn't evolved with them to maintain the ethics that the business wanted to keep when it first started because you bring in managers um, to manage and you hire talented people who on paper um, have the experience to do what they do but what people forget is that the skills doesn't mean the culture is going to necessarily be there and um, the Institute of Chartered Management in 2018 put out some statistics that five out of six managers have never had any formal management training. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get stuck in this feedback loop of people not really necessarily understanding um, what to do, how to do, or what to do beyond just statutory compliance and lacking a lot of guidance and intuitiveness. So that leads to um, something that we've, we've dubbed internally as a toxic erosion of your culture, where you could think as a founder, I've made a great business, it's amazing. But your people are crying in the lavies, which is just uh, just not great. Or you've got a high attrition rate um, and you can't hold on to really good people because they're leaving because they're not happy. Um, so, that, so when we work with somebody, we don't just do um, statutory HR compliance. That's not our, our, you know, obviously that is the thing that we aim for is to make sure that you're going to be okay from a legal perspective, but we want to work with companies who put wellness at the centre of what they do and don't just want a policy bundle downloaded off the internet, but they want somebody to consult with them and establish what their individual values are as a company 
and lay out practically how to do things and how to lay out continuous improvements and run a culture change management in their organization so that as they increase their headcount and their budget, their offering to people increases. But the fundamental principles in your policies and processes are held in place to be um, essentially the tent pegs to hold everything together. Right. So we, we do a very kind of holistic approach to um, to wellness and that we focus it and embed it into the HR strategy yeah. as well as do that value add. It's awesome to hear. Again, it's like, as you say, it's about setting a tone of culture rather than implementing more initiatives and, you know, hoping that they kind of have an impact. And as you've said, if you're working with those kind of startups, it's about embedding it as early as possible. So mm-hmm. the company grows, that culture grows with it rather than, mm-hmm. you know, this this uncontrollable culture that is quite toxic and and now you've kind of got to you know reverse what's already happened it's about embedding it as as early as possible so is there kind of like a a certain um you know business in terms of employee size that you kind of go for in, in particular i really like working with businesses who are kind of getting to between 10 and 20 that is a kind of fun spot for me um, but the earlier we can work with the business, the better, um, even if it's three guys in a shed who are approaching their investors and starting to talk to them about what they're going to do in terms of their growth plan. I love working with founders like that, because what a lot of people seem to forget is that growth and wellness costs quite a lot of money, mm. um, especially understanding how to do it correctly um, costs quite a lot of money. So I like working with people um, and kind of scale ups at, at all sizes, be they um, post investment or pre investment, because the more information you have in your arsenal and the better a, and, and more strengthened financial business plan that you can make for um, an investor, the better time you'll have with them and the more you're able to um, make sure that when you are approaching investors, some of your, your money isn't unnecessarily ring fenced. Mm. A lot of, again, a lot of first time founders don't factor in the fact that investors will ask how you're going to spend that money and that's how they expect that money to be spent yeah i agree yeah i agree so i mean correct me if i'm wrong you started the company in the midst of the pandemic right yeah we did um so (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know right um actually it was a pretty good idea we've we've, we've done quite well actually let's time to start a business 100 it's it's because um, a wellness, but actually, it was statistically it was a really good time um, because mental health has become very, very well spoken about um, as it has needed to be for the longest time. So, um, as somebody who suffered with poor mental health um, and had to kind of work very hard to keep it to varying degrees of success um, at a good place for over fifteen years, I say about time. Mm-hmm. But um, but statistically speaking, more startups flourish in times of economic recession. So in terms of coming in and going into the startup market, not, not bad timing, but no. we, we did. So we officially, um, it was August when, when we kind of took what was Shelby, my business partner's coaching business. She'd run that since February. We basically rebranded and retook that and, and launched um, Throman Reed as a, as a service to take no. what I did and what she did and kind of smush them together and make something make something awesome to go and shake the shake the world up a bit. And was that kind of your motivation that you kind of both brought different, you know, skills to to the business and you could almost see a kind of new approach forming rather than, you know, you both doing your individual sort of, you know, thing. And and I'm guessing 
was there a lot of I guess personal experiences you've kind of shared there between both of you that kind of motivated you to start the business as well um yes there was so both of us have had issues with our mental health and I I only ever feel comfortable speaking about my story Shelby's story to anybody who's listening who wants to find out about it is fascinating but it's her story um and it's hers to share um but my my story um I tried to commit suicide when I was 19 um I have thought about doing it again um many years later as an adult but I've had general anxiety disorder for for 15 years um I do struggle with SAD um and I I've been in places that haven't had great mental health and what I have unfortunately experienced and it's not every HR team that I've worked in some of them have been fantastic but some of the organizations I worked for their HR teams were actually the worst people for taking care of mental health mm-hmm. um and they were the worst for supporting people internally with their mental health and wellness um so when it came time to um kind of me be like I, I was made redundant during the pandemic um, and when it came time to thinking about what I wanted to do, Shelby and I, um, this is kind of obviously back when we were allowed to sit in each other's gardens, <laughs> we're, we're sitting in, in my back garden having a conversation about how wellness and HR had been strange bedfellows for quite a long time. There'd always been a complicated relationship with it. And wouldn't it be better if, the two, if something brought the two of them together? And we just kind of went, why don't we do it? Mm. Why don't we do it? And like, there's been no better time. To, to give it a go and if it, it all went um <laughs> if it all went tits up at least we'd have a great story <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. no and it's, it's obviously thank you for sharing as well it's I'm sure you know someone who shares my own story it's, it's always difficult when you share it so mm-hmm. um appreciate you sharing that no and, thank and, you for giving me the space and it also shows you that you know it's great to see I don't mean this in the wrong way, but it's great to see people that also have a purpose behind starting a company in this space, because, mm-hmm. you know, as you've said, you know, the pandemic has definitely accelerated the, the awareness around it. Um, you know, when you're looking at sort of workplace mental health, there's, of course, huge opportunities there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's great to hear people that, as you say, have their own lived experience, because I bring I think that brings so much to the table. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's authenticity. And it's, um, you know, we, we practice what we preach. Um, and as well, because we, we very specifically wanted to work with startups and scale-ups because, again, the common misconception has been that, that it has to cost the earth to treat people well or that the investment wasn't going to you know, see a return or that people, small businesses couldn't have fantastic cultures. Um, and Shelby, Shelby's favourite question is why? And it's very recently become my favorite question. So we always go, but why? Why does it have to be this way? Um, but no, I really, I, it's nice to have another person in the space talking about, because you're correct, people with the experience of poor mental health becoming the champions of how to make mental health better in the workplace is, is very empowering, actually. Yeah, you made, um, you made a point um, before, obviously, with your experience. And I had this conversation with someone a couple of weeks back mental health well-being it, it falls on the shoulders of hr right mm. um, typically it'll fall on the shoulders of one person <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know what we always say you know as a business is you know our, our role is to support employees to provide more accessible sort of mental health support but at the same time to to provide support to the hr because mm-hmm. um you know hr department hr professional whatever it is i i have this real it doesn't sit well with me that 
staff morale needs boosting. Let's look at the HR director. What are you going to do about it? Um, you know, assuming they, they don't muzzle them as well. I've known a lot of fantastic <laughs> HR directors who are, um, and I will say it and I will be blunt with it, they're muzzled by very arrogant board members who actually don't don't actually want to put the work in. They just want to see yeah. the benefit from it. So they'll, yeah. they'll um, and they're the people that you will see on platforms like LinkedIn and Instagram posting about mental health and posting about how it matters who actually don't care about it and they certainly don't yeah. invest in it. Yeah, and it's it's it's. Do you do you feel that you know it should sit within HR? Or do you feel it should sit somewhere else within the business? I love this question. Um, I think truly every member of a management team and a board has a certain degree of responsibility, but in terms of practicalities, it isn't always operationally structured to make it easy for everybody to be involved in it. So I think having a spearhead that is given a budget, a spend and permission and a scope to make the changes that need done is correct in every form. And, you know, when it comes to change management with people, it is often HR's um, responsibility. What is key, though, is that you give them a budget and you allow them to bring an external resource for that. What people make the fundamental mistake of doing for, um, for HR teams is they treat them like they're Atlas. They can put the entire weight of the organisation on their shoulders and expect them to always be able to carry it perfectly and for that to be the right method of carrying generally speaking when what we've found with um some of the clients that we've worked with and are working with still is they enjoy the fact that we are there working with them because we're a safe space Mm -hmm. they know that we are generally in on either an interim contract basis or we're in every now and again just popping and say hello but they're allowed to be vulnerable with us they're a safe space that doesn't affect their promotional opportunities, doesn't affect whether or not they'll get that project or not, certainly doesn't hold the cards as to judging whether or not they're in a good performance review or not. Um, Because like it or not, you know, there's inherent bias with people. And although we've made great, great strides when talking about mental health, there is still an underlying bias of that means that I can't ask this person to do more or expect a stretch out of this person or growth out of this person. Yeah. which then fundamentally makes them worse but um so to to answer your question in a convoluted way um it it, ha- it can sit with hr yes but they have to be given the freedom and the control to actually enact change and they have to bring in people to do that for them and nobody in that company has to be so arrogant as to think that they're the only one who can fix it yeah and i think it comes back to like you just said i talk a lot about the what and the why you know it's um what do you have in the business for mental health well we have mm-hmm. an employee assistance program we have mental health first aiders we have the, we have a session on mental health awareness um why uh <laughs> i don't know because we, we we had to or we got set a budget and i think you know that that why has to come as you've said from from the top it has to come yep. from the overall culture of the business to yep. say this is why we're doing it. We want it to sit within HR, but this is kind of, as you say, we're, we're setting the tone and and everyone has that involvement in there. You, mm-hmm. you also mentioned about um, stigma and, mm. you know, the the almost impact of stigma, which is something I talk a lot about. In, in your experience, you know, how, how much impact do you see stigma having on people inside and outside of the workplace? Um, immense, um, huge outside of the workplace for myself and and friends of mine who suffer from poor mental health. Um, I came from a recruitment background 
Um, that is a notoriously difficult and tough and quite stressful industry, um, much maligned for, for a variety of different reasons. But there is almost a sense of guilt um, that people have when they work in that space, if they're trying to explore um, mental health or certainly if they have a break um, and they need to take some time off to recover. Um, there was somebody recently, a very close friend of mine, who did take a break from work. And when they came back in, their boss said to them, I wasn't actually expecting you to come back. Good for you. Uh, and, it, and it was like, <laughs> it was like good, good for, good for them. I mean, yes, it was good for them because actually they, they went on a journey of self-discovery and improvement and they did what is the hardest thing. They were a broken person and they rebuilt themselves, which is incredibly difficult to do. Um, but good. So it was good for them. But in reality, that, that individual, um, could could have been prevented to that had there had there been a more a more mindful um approach to that that management structure yeah. um and and then going going further forward kind of at, at work like i said there is that inherent bias it's well they're having a difficult time right now do we really want to put them in front of this difficult client sensitive project there's this still odd correlation between um somebody who is having an issue with their mental health who's taking steps to treat themselves who is who is in you know essentially as you and I both know when you move into working through your issues with a therapist you're in recovery at that point and it's a long journey to um walk but you are still on that recovery stage um, yep. and people have this weird thing of oh well well what if what if they have a have a relapse and I'm like guys if they had cancer would you say this would you really do this to somebody who had cancer we treat there's this this huge dis disconnect and dissonance between physical bodily health where we're like as so long as we make acceptable arrangements for people they can still do whatever they need to do and they can still be part of this to mental health of oh well we better better shroud and protect them and our own interests to make sure that we we still do this that and the other it's it's quite I'm sure it comes from a good place but the inherent bias there the bias is that they can't still achieve and succeed when they yeah. can they just need support doing it yeah I agree it's, and again you know I, I I come to a conclusion that it's it's purely in a way you know it's not their fault because it's just that lack of education isn't it it's mm. that, that you know upbringing that we've all had that mm -hmm. for me however I always feel bad saying this but but mental health my association with it was straight jackets padded cells and personalities that didn't look anything like I was expecting yeah well we're about the same age aren't we we're, we're yeah, in exactly. our 30s that, exactly mm -hmm. yes yeah. so that's like um you know, so so you know, in a way, if someone hasn't, like you say, experienced it or, or even been educated on it, then you know they're always going to have that, that, as you say, mm -hmm. that that judgment to others. And, and like you say, there's this real link between mental health and, and performance. But mm -hmm. in in terms of, you know, I think we'll both agree the pandemic's accelerated that kind of awareness. But what changes and progress would you personally like to see in, let's say, five years' time when it comes to mental health support at work? I would love um, for people to recognise that mental health first aid is is first aid and it's not the answer to mm -hmm. undergoing problems. I have, uh, by the way, I doff my cap to every provider of mental health support training and every person who's got that certificate. You are fantastic. But much like um, we have a physical first aid box and first aiders that are trained to look after our bodies, we still don't let people run with scissors in the workplace or do things that will hurt themselves. 
there are policies and measures and safeguarding put in place for our physical bodies at work. I used to work for an oil and gas company where you weren't allowed to walk down the stairs with a mug of coffee. Mm. that's how conscious of their bodies or the potential injury to physical self they were. The change I am dying to see in the world and the change that I am determined for Throwman Reed to be a part of um, is that we move away from um, not doing as much for our our minds as we do for our bodies. I would love for them to do that um, more. I'd love to see services like counselling being offered so much as you might have um, somebody to come in and do a, a yoga session for your people and do some of those lovely breathing exercises that's fantastic that's still quite centered in the physical side of, of well-being um, when that we could really do with access to counseling and support um, employee assistance lines are okay but they're not they're not sufficient enough um, mm-hmm. they're certainly not actually um, in terms of diversity and inclusion measures they do not cover people who don't like telephones mm-hmm. um, at the best time. I can certainly, I know a few friends who you will not get on the phone, even on a good day, because they can't stand talking on the phone. The thought of having a, a serious mental break and needing to actually access that employee assistance line where they are forced to phone somebody just won't happen. Um, so we need to actually also try and make well-being more inclusive. And that's something else that I would love to see more measures being done in. Um, so that's that's yeah. just that's just the start. I could I could literally talk about it for about four I'm hours. Honest, what I think people I'm need to change. Sure you, I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. I'm yeah. sure there's not just one change. But it sounds very much like um, you know, similar approaches where it's more of a you know holistic approach, and and you know everyone has different individual needs, and about from from a business point of view, you need to be able to support that. And then equally, mm-hmm. as you said, it's more about those proactive strategies rather than reactive strategies. You know, yeah. um. One thing I talk a lot about is, especially, you know, with my dad, with myself, or whatever, is 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 we are conditioned to be reactive to mental health, like you said. Yeah. You know, um, we go to therapy when we're broken. We don't go to therapy because it's personal training for the mind, and we've got to make mm-hmm. sure that we're staying on top of this. So I mm-hmm. think, like you said there, it's about getting people to see it in that proactive way, rather than just we've got five mental health first aiders, so we're 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 doing well. Yeah, um, it's like they embed in more strategies, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think you also raise something beautiful. We talk about therapy as a journey of self-improvement. Um, I think there's three types of mental health support that we should be looking at. Um, and maybe I'm biased because I work with somebody who is a fantastic, um, is a fantastic coach and counsellor. Um, but co- life coaches or wellbeing coaches and counsellors can help you. Therapy needs, we need to remind ourselves that therapy is a medical stage intervention. That is when we have had so much strain put on our brains that the habits are ingrained. And oftentimes, certainly in the case of chronic burnout and stress, that changes our physical neurochemistry. There is a scientific reaction that has happened in our in our bodies. So it's taken something that from a thought process and actually reprogrammed our brains. That is when therapists and medical grade interventions start stepping in. What if we could unpack our baggage before it damages us? What if we could do that? Um, and what if we'd had more of an open dialogue about the difference between coaching, counselling and therapy? Because until I, it wasn't until my second go round on therapy that I recognised there was something else I could have done before I'd gotten to that stage. And I never once thought about it. And it's mm-hmm. crazy. Absolutely crazy. And, yeah. we spend, and we spend all these money, all this, all this unnecessary money, um, 
on on ourselves and on our body again it's it's take care of your brain when you take care of our bodies um sometimes people get put off coaching and, and counseling because it, it's a cost to them mm. but yet we'll spend you know i i know that i'll spend 200 odd quid on my hair i spend at least 30 when when the nail salon was open i'd be 35 <laughs> quid religiously every two weeks to get my nails done um Fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can tell by that, that bouffant, what people can't see is obviously the, the, the webcams are on um, and they can't see how gorgeous your hair looks. Yeah. <laughs> but we but we'd spend, or, you know, we'd spend all this money on things, but we don't value our minds and our mental state. We don't put the same value on our mental state as we do our body. And that is such a shame. Yeah. We need to start doing more of that. Yeah. And I think it's just the, the lack of education that we have around it that, you know, we are taught that, you know, ignore it until an issue happens and then do something about it. You know, as you say yes. on the flip side, flip side of physical health, I was always taught to eat an apple a day to keep the doctor away. I was taught to mm-hmm. drink plenty of water. I was taught to, you know, eat the right foods because otherwise you're going to yep. become, you know, physically unwell. And mm-hmm. and it, it's flipping it in that way and, and seeing mental health in that way, as you've said, because, yeah. you know, again, it's 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 just a constantly reminding yourself. And, and the way that I sometimes remind myself is, biggest threat to my life as I sit here right now is suicide it's it's, it's mm-hmm. you know as a man under 45 it's 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 myself yep. it's my mind so so should I go and do a bit of journaling should I go and see a bit of you know my therapist and tell her how I feel like mm-hmm. of course because it's the biggest threat to my life so it's just mm-hmm. it's just as you say we need to make people realize the importance first don't we yeah absolutely but I think um and I'd love your opinion on this um Shelby and I both think that the change for our generation is actually almost to, um, we, we are at the start of making change, but what we have to do is we have to reassess our education system and we have to start teaching our children how to be happy. We teach them what success looks like on a given parameter, as in we get them through a system designed to spit out a statistical level of relative intelligence mm-hmm. in, 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 in that kind of respect nobody when I was a child taught me how to be happy mm-hmm. and that is incredibly damaging I think that's almost far more scary than the rising illiteracy rates although they are also an issue we definitely it's the overall education system but um what do you think um do you yeah. think we do enough to teach children to be happy or 100% like I, I I have done some work in schools and um charities that focus on you know young people's mental health and you know, obviously I've got you know two young boys and you know I would say from their schools it's better than when we was was at school but but equally there's far more that they can do um yeah 100% like I always say you know I I got taught algebra I got taught how many planets in the universe but I didn't get taught how to do a grief um and when that you you don't know what to do um more than just grief like I didn't get taught how to set healthy boundaries i i grew up with a father who who was a narcissist um Mm -hmm. who was dreadful to me growing up and really really messed me up um in a big way um and then i i had some issues as as a young woman um that fundamentally shaped how i felt and nobody at any point recognized that i'd saturated myself in self-loathing and guilt um, to such an extent that it, it was very, de- it damaged me, mm-hmm. obviously, um, because it, I got pushed to the worst place um, with that. But 
nobody nobody taught me how to set healthy boundaries and take care of myself and when I say that nobody taught us how to be happy that's what I mean I I understand that we obviously have a lot of work to do in the dialogue of what happens to us in traumatic events but trauma is a creeping scale it's it's a it's a pressurization and it doesn't start with one thing one thing we can typically take even if it's something quite difficult what we can't take is Mm. everything um and communicating healthily, accepting and setting healthy boundaries, valuing our bodies and our minds enough to say no, valuing our individuality and our sense of self and building fu- like structures and foundations of true confidence and resilience is something that we are not taught how to do as children. And yet yeah. later on, when we are driven to our therapist, that those are the boundaries that we start looking through and we start rewriting our beliefs systems from there but we should be focusing on on our children and building those structures Mm. around them now so that hopefully less people get to where we are yeah i agree massively um you know it's almost the tools that we had were very limited Mm -hmm. um the tools that we were taught to deal with our mental health were very negative um Mm -hmm. it's about you know providing the education that that these tools can be healthier and, and these are the tools that you need to use. So yeah, I, I completely agree. And you know, education system I think needs needs analyzing and 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 equally, you know, as you kind of said, what what people are doing is going against past generations of how they've approached and dealt with mental health. Um, and there was this amazing quote that I shared once. It was, "Let's be the generation that talks so much about mental health, the next generation doesn't suffer from the stigma." And, you know, that's kind of like we all have that ability that, that you know, our, our parents and their parents and their parents saw mental health in a very different way. But, but, you know, let's, as you say, be that generation and the generation after us to start to move that conversation along. And that brings me to your, your um, you use passion, people, purpose, right? Um, passion, yeah. people, purpose. How does, what does that mean to you, passion, people, purpose? <laughs> um, so... Our, our, when we talk about purpose, Simon Sinek talks about the why an awful lot. An organisation always has a why, yeah? Um, so in every organisation, including ours, we have a, a why for what we want to do. Um, so when we talk about purpose, we are talking about why fundamentally something exists, the purpose of that. Um, obviously with people, people, people's pretty self-explanatory. That's the one I should hopefully not have to explain. It's the people within the organization, be that the, the people who sit at the top of the organization or the people who make up and fundamentally deliver the services and, and uh, products that that business um, takes to market. Passion is something that is often missing from that. We lose the sense of passion and love for what we do um, and the love for ourselves within that. So when we talk about passion, we talk about caring so radically about the purpose and the people within your business that you are willing to go above what is statutorily compliant and move into what is ethically correct. Because this is what a lot of people forget. And I actually had a fantastic conversation with a guy called David Nixon earlier today who does um, occupational health at work assessments. And we both um, were really in agreement with the statement that what is statutorily compliant by the law is not what is ethically correct if you're not getting sued that doesn't make you a good person it doesn't make you a good place to work if people aren't suing you it just makes you the bare minimum level of acceptance passion for us is about caring enough and believing in your why enough 
that you will make that next step up and you will be the change that you want to see in your industry. Nice. I love that. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I want to ask you one more question and it's probably quite a, a deep question, so I do apologise, but um, okay. by the sounds of it, um, you're quite open. And I think that it comes back to the whole education sort of, you know, piece as well. Mm-hmm. If, if you can go back to, to the 10-year-old cat, um, mm-hmm. what advice would you give her knowing what you now know? 10-year-old me wasn't the problem. Um, I'd go back to 14-year-old me. Um, my my mental health declined after my sister passed away um, when I was 14 and I blamed myself for that and I think I didn't I didn't allow myself to to let go of that guilt until I was 30 so I carried that for 16 years of my life and I allowed a lot of not very great treatment um, from a number of different sources to be put upon me because I didn't believe I was worth it so what I would love what I would give anything for is to sit down with that lovely little girl and tell her that it wasn't her fault and that, um, excuse my French, bad shit just sometimes happens Mm. and that we have an incredible core and ability to keep going um, because there is only two choices in life. You can learn to adapt and grow and embrace that change and not be frightened by who that you might become in the end of it, because I've got quite a strong moral compass and it's not seen me wrong so far. Or you can stop and soak in this and see where that takes you. And the answer is you won't be very happy. And the second you embrace change, you will become a much happier person. I'd also encourage my younger self not to um, not to give a shit what people think about her and that you don't need to be liked to be influential um, and to be a strong voice um, in the world. So I would I would desperately say to her, not everybody has to love you, not everybody has to like you. You loving yourself is quite enough, actually. I love that. What an answer. What an answer. <laughs> Thanks. I'm getting a bit misty, actually. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm honestly, you know, really sorry to hear that. I didn't, I didn't know that. And it's, 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 okay. it's I, I don't, I don't tend to shout about it all that often. I mean, <laughs> which is quite funny given that I talk a lot about, about, you know, um, I talk about the, the fact that I did try to hurt myself. I don't talk about the why very mm. often. That tends to be quite personal. Um, but thank you again for giving me somewhere where I could talk about that. No worries. It's yeah. It's um. I love that advice of as you say, and a, a recent podcast I did as well was the same. It's just 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 hold on. You don't know what's around the corner. Um. You mm. know, and those those dark times, as you say, where you have that choice and and you're you're nearing the the other option of of giving up. You know, you don't know what's around the corner, right? And it's just holding on to as as much as you possibly can, and and knowing yeah. that pain can end. And you know, I think you're your your resilience by the sounds of it you know and I, I i dislike that word sometimes but really in terms of in terms of like the adversity that you face and how stronger you've become because of that i think is a testament to you as an individual thank you it's also a testament to a lot of really really good therapists <laughs> and, <laughs> and some, exactly some, we need that yeah and loving wonderful family phenomenal friends um i wouldn't be the person that i was without them i think kind of going back to your point on on resilience and change I think the one thing I'd love to leave listeners knowing is um, fear is an evolutionary thing that was programmed into us to, uh, to respond to a number of different things 
that often don't actually exist in our modern framework anymore. Not to say that fear isn't valid, but if you can allow yourself to take control of what change is about to happen to you and don't wish for the past, but instead embrace the change that's going to become in the future, your fears will become a lot less and things will seem a lot more manageable. Nice. I love that. Great advice. So just finishing up, Kat, because I'm conscious of time. Um, Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for being so honest as well. I really appreciate it. Um, And I'm sure this has, has helped people potentially in, as we say, personal situations that they might be able to relate to, but also from a, a business point of view, if they're looking to sort of make some change, where can people find out more about, about you? And also feel free to plug the business as well. <laughs> awesome. Um, people can find out more about us by connecting with me on LinkedIn. Um, Kat Reed, co-founder at Throman Reed. They can also visit our website, which is www.throman. So that's T-H-R-O-M-A-N, Reed, R-E-I-D, which is all one word co.uk website recently got a facelift please go and visit it it cost us a fair bit of money to get it done up um so it'd be nice to see the investment getting returned you can also find me often waxing lyrical about all things hr and wellness on clubhouse because i'm one of those clubhouse people i quite like it actually um and in general i would really hope that people would speak to us anybody who's listening who is running a scale up who thinks actually i'd love to do more with my hr too look at my well-being that would be great we're running well-being team building sessions for people coming back in to the workplace currently we've got a pilot price for those sessions for 200 quid for up to 10 heads so 20 quid a head definitely cheaper than a night out it'll certainly make them feel a lot better in the morning afterwards um so we'd love to hear from people who are interested in finding out what topics we cover in those because we have four key areas that we look at Cool. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kat. I really appreciate it. And you are most welcome. Say, thank you for being an amazing guest. Thank you for having me and for being an amazing host. It's a great podcast. And um, I must say, uh, every mind at work, the app is, is absolutely fantastic. And we're really, really proud to be partnered with you guys.